today as an example of taking us on a journey with God's people, following our stories in the Bible. Today, as you will have noted, we have some communion elements on chairs near you. The reason for that is it is our communion Sunday, but we brought communion into the service today in just a little different setting. We're gonna be sharing communion at the end of today's message, not right in the middle. And we're doing it because I want us to take a journey with the Israelites as they leave the bondage of Egypt, preparing to go to the promised land. And so we're asking you to follow through that. And as we talk about this deliverance, as we talk about the Israelites and the story of the Exodus, I'm asking you to join in searching your heart and life, looking at your families, looking at our situations and asking, am I really free? And have I followed, those, followed God like the Israelites did? Have I left my bondage into freedom? Have I let God deliver and bless me? And I hope you'll follow because at the end of our service, we're gonna have communion and we're gonna pray and offer a special prayer for people that might want to do that very thing. So we hope you'll do that. Before we begin today, the message I'm calling today, the great Passover deliverance. Would you join me in a prayer before we continue? Lord Jesus, today we worship you. We've worshiped you in our singing and with our offerings and our finances. We come before you whom we casually sometimes call the Lamb of God. Today, we'll see you as the Lamb of God. And today I pray that you would speak to every heart and every life of every person that even names this church as their spiritual home. We pray that you by the Holy Spirit would encompass them inhabit them, encourage them, correct us if we need it and help us in our need. We ask your help in Jesus' name. If you can agree, say amen. Amen. The great Passover deliverance. So in preparation of this great story, and it is a great story, the story of Israel leaving Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years. It's a great story. In preparation for that story, I've done a little research and I've done it before and I, I looked through again today some of these facts. I looked at the story of redemption and redemption is an interesting word, just to practice. Everybody say redemption. So redemption is a word we use in the Bible. It, we, we call it a biblical word. It really isn't just biblical, but we use it, redemption. The word redemption means to be ransomed. Virtually the same meaning, almost, almost no different wording or meaning at all. So if we think about ransoming and we think about the story of the Israelites in bondage, there's a very real parallel. And when we think about a ransom, we think about captives and we think about somebody paying a ransom to free them. So in study and in looking at some background, looking at the FBI and other law enforcement and people who have been involved in paying ransoms and freeing captives, they all say that there, it's always dangerous, of course, to be kidnapped and to be held ransom, held for ransom is always dangerous, but they said by far and away, the most tense moment the scariest time, the most important moments of that whole experience are not when they're kidnapped. It's when the ransom is exchanged for the captive. 
when the actual exchange happens, it, should, it usually takes very little amount of time. And even though it should be the happiest of moments, it is always, they say, it is always the most tense, the most important. The moment when, if anything goes wrong, it's gonna go really wrong and all right now. This morning, we're gonna read a story about the day and the night of the great ransom. We're gonna see a story where there was a very tense evening where God's people at the end of that evening were free, but in the midst of it, there was a great time of deliverance and tension. Just, just for curiosity, I thought maybe you'd like to know this. I, in my research, I found it. You, you may wonder, you know, what are people really willing to pay uh, for ransoms for people in order to free them. And uh, those of you that are as old as I am will remember back in 1974, a young lady by the name of Patty Hearst was ransomed for the equivalent today of $29 million. With a lot of money, seems like. Uh, back in 1996, Victor Lee from Hong Kong was ransomed for $200 million. Somebody kidnapped him and they paid his ransom. He's a businessman. But the most expensive ransom of all history, according to the sites I looked at, was all the way back to the story of Robin Hood and King Richard the Lionheart, who was held captive by another king in Europe. And his ransom was paid $3.3 billion to save Richard the Lionheart. Well, the story we'll read about today needed a ransom payment of much, much more. And we're gonna read about the great deliverance of God's people. So the story begins in the old nation of Egypt. And the story begins with a family, the family of Abraham. Abraham, the great, great father of the Jewish nation, had left his land to follow God and, and, and had wandered into the land that is now Israel. Because of a great famine, they fled to Egypt. When they got to Egypt, there was 70 of them. Abraham's family got to Egypt, there were 70 of them. Now it's important to note what their identity really was. It wasn't just that they liked their great grandpa, Abraham. Their identity was a spiritual promise because God had spoken to Abraham multiple times and said, Abraham, I'm gonna do two things for you. I'm gonna make you and your family a great nation of people. And I'm gonna bless them and I'm gonna make you a blessing to others. So I'm gonna make you a great nation and I'm gonna bless you, one thing. Number two, I'm going to give you the land where you're now wandering as a pilgrim. I'm gonna give you that land as your own possession and as a nation. In just about six weeks, some of us from church will be in that land of Israel doing a pilgrimage tour. That was the promise. I'm gonna give you a nation. I'm gonna make you a nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you that land. And they remembered that promise. So they went into Egypt knowing that we're not staying here forever because God promised us other things. And they went in and there were 70 of them that went into Egypt, 70. Fast forward 400 years of history and there is now 3 million of Abraham's family in Egypt. Egypt became afraid of them, was threatened by them. For that and other reasons, they began to enslave them and tried to kill the men of them. And Egypt was now making Israel's family's life 
a nightmare by causing them to work as slaves in the land of Egypt. Egypt, the, the Israelites cried out to God and said, God, what about that promise? What about the promised land? What about blessing us? What about making us a nation? We're suffering in this slavery. The actual answer to that prayer looks like what we're going to talk about right now. It began as we spoke last week with a man by the name of Moses. Moses was commissioned on Mount Sinai by God at the burning bush. God told him to go into the Pharaoh of Egypt and tell him to release my people. Here's what that looked like. Let's read in Exodus chapter 5, just a couple of verses. It said, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, as they were told, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Well, he's about to learn, number one. But what Pharaoh was really saying is, I've got all the gods I need. Egypt was famous or infamous for their idolatry and their worship of every kind of God. They had a God for almost everything. And Moses said, I'm here to speak to you about the great I am, Yahweh. I am that I am. And Pharaoh said, who? What? I don't know who you're talking about. We've got gods here. You need to shut up and get back to work. He said, I will not let Israel go. Moses made one attempt. Pharaoh laughed and he made their bondage worse. Moses goes back to God and said, God, this didn't work very good. Maybe sometimes we feel like that. We feel like maybe you're doing it right now. You think, hey, New Year, Sunday number two. I made it. I'm here two weeks in a row. I'm going to do this New Year thing. I'm going to follow Jesus. And you take this little step toward Jesus and you think, great. And things get worse instead of better. And that's what happened with Moses. So God, Moses complains to God and God answers his prayer. And here it is in Exodus chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, here's how it's going to work, he said. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You will speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I stretch out my hand against them and bring out all the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. And thus begin the great deliverance. Now, before we tell the rest of the story, some things you should know. According to the book of 1 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle wrote this. He said, the things that happened, he was telling some of the stories of the, the story of Israel, the Exodus and other things. And he said, those things that God did in that time, the things that happened to them, God did them so that they would be examples for us today. In other words, yes, they really happened. Yes, it happened just like that. But that was only part of the, their benefit was only part of the reason why they happened. 
He said God did them because he had something even greater to do with us that's going to look just like that but be more powerful. We call that in Bible teaching and Bible theology, we call that a type and a shadow. Meaning that the shadow is not as important as the object that's casting the shadow. The type is not as important as the real thing. The type was Israel, Egypt, and Pharaoh. The real thing is God, Jesus, and delivering his people. Egypt was a type and a shadow of our corrupt world system. Our corrupt world system. The, not, not the earth. That's un, the earth isn't corrupt, so, so to speak. The earth is created by God. But the system of human life on this earth is corrupt. It's, the word for that in the Bible is called the world. And the word is cosmos. And it's corrupt. It's fine as long as you follow the course they want you to follow. But when you say, no, thank you, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do life God's way. Immediately, you get resistance. Why? Because it's a corrupt world. Egypt is a type of this corrupt world system. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is a type of the devil whom Jesus called in the Garden of Gethsemane the prince of this cosmos, the prince of this world. Egypt, a type of the corrupt world system. Pharaoh, a type of Satan who was the prince of this corrupt world system. That being said, Moses goes to Pharaoh. He goes to him and he tells him 10 times in total, let my people go. 10 times he includes what I call an or else. Everyone say an or else. Anyone as a kid ever get an or else? Yeah. You know, one person said uh, when I grew up, I had a drug problem. Anytime I did something wrong, my dad drug me to the woodshed and gave me a whooping. Saved me from a real drug problem. Anyway, uh, do you ever, if you ever, you know what an or else is. Do this or else you're not going to like what happens. Well, Moses didn't use those words exactly. But ten times he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And if you don't, this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And that's going to happen. And there were 10 of those going to happens that happened. They were called and known in the Bible as the plagues of Egypt. Mind you, mind you, remember the story of Pharaoh who said, I don't know who this, this I am is. I've got my own gods. Egypt had gods, conveniently enough, that were all in charge of all the things that Egypt needed. Gods of water, gods of the sky, gods of the sun, gods of rain, gods of all those things. And they were all evil, wicked, and they had very immoral practices associated with them. God was about to teach Pharaoh, don't trust in those. I'm greater than them. So let's look. Let my people go or else. The first or else. The plagues that happened. Pharaoh said, I will not. So the first plague was the water, the fresh water of Egypt, including the Nile River, was turned into blood. This was a judgment on the Egyptian god of the Nile, the god of the Nile. The second plague, Pharaoh says, I still will not. And there was a plague of frogs. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, frogs are kind of nice and they're cute and it's nice to hear them in the summer. It's a sign of, you know, all that. But there were so many frogs appearing in Egypt, they multiplied to such a level that it said they filled even the bedchambers of the king. 
I don't know about you, but I don't think we'd sleep very well if you pulled the nice covers back on your bed and there's full of green slimy frogs in your bed. Frogs in your shoes, frogs everywhere, frogs rotting and stinking up the land. A plague of frogs was a judgment against the fertility goddess of Egypt. Next came a, he said, no, I will not. And the third plague was their dust was turned into gnats from the ground, a plague of gnats. I'm sure we've had some gnats here in Wisconsin, but imagine a plague across an entire land so thick gnats biting you everywhere. It was a judgment against their God of the dust of the earth. The plague number four when Pharaoh resisted was a plague of flies that filled the land with corrupt, wicked, decadent, icky flies. I know that's not a very appropriate word, but flies are not nice. This to them was a judgment on their creation God that had the head of a fly. Number five, Pharaoh still said no. The five-fifth or else was the death of their livestock. Their cattle, their sheep, all their livestock died. This was a judgment on their goddess that had the head of a cow that they worshipped. Number six, he still said no. Moses took ashes from a furnace and threw them into the sky and the ashes filled the air and caused painful boils to break out on all the skin of all the Egyptians, including Pharaoh and his wicked sorcerers. This judgment of boils was a judgment against their Isis, their god of medicine, who could no longer help them. Number seven, still resisting, was burning hail and fire that fell from the sky and burned whatever it hit. This was a judgment on their goddess of the sky. Number eight, the judgment of locusts. Many of you remember that. Locusts are grasshoppers that filled the land and destroyed the crops of Egypt across their whole nation. This was a judgment on their god of disorder and storms. After number eight, Pharaoh seemed to be getting the message. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many spankings you'd have to have as a kid before you'd go, hey, well, anyway, back out of that one. But here's Pharaoh. His nation is destroyed. Even his sorcerers who resisted Moses came and said, Pharaoh, please look around. The nation is destroyed. His God is the real God. We can't compete. Let him go. Pharaoh goes, okay, Moses, come in here. You can go. No strings. Go. Do whatever you want to do. Just go. But as you're leaving, just one little detail. Um, who's going to go with you? Moses said, we're all going. Pharaoh said, well, here's what you should do. Everybody who's an old enough to be considered an adult, you go. Just leave the children here with me. Leave the children here. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the crisis of Christian religion in this country today. I want you to think about, and it's not because somebody is good and somebody's bad, but I'm telling you that across this nation, the crisis is churches full of people with vast majority of them there, 60 years and older. What is Pharaoh a type of? The devil. What is he saying? You guys go. All you adults, you go but I want, the, I want the kids. I want to keep your children. 
And I'm telling you right now that I believe God wants church leaders to rise up and say, no, it's not just us adults that are gonna go with Jesus. It's us and it's our kids and it's our grandkids and it's our great grandkids. And it's as many as the Lord will give us as a generation. And if I don't have kids, I'm gonna believe for my neighbor's kids. But how many of you know God wants not just us, but he wants every generation following Christ. We're not gonna surrender our kids or our grandkids to Pharaoh or to this world. We're gonna believe and we're seeing it happen here in church you know how many kids are over there in that worship center right now worshiping and learning about Jesus we're not giving our kids to Pharaoh can someone say amen and Pharaoh said leave the kids here and Moses said oh wait 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 let me tell you who's going we're going our old people are going our young people are going our children our nursing babies are going to go we're taking every living breathing soul that's got a relative of the father Abraham and we're leaving this Egypt and you're not stopping us Pharaoh said it's all off then and then plague number nine three days of darkness struck the land darkness the Bible said that was so thick it could be felt a little scary if the sun doesn't rise in the morning. Three days of darkness. This would have been a judgment against Ra, the Hebrew, uh, the, the Egyptian sun god. Then he said, go, but leave me your livestock. And Moses said, no more of those tricks, Pharaoh. We're not leaving our kids. We're not leaving our cows. We're not leaving our sheep. We're not leaving our pet dog or cat. Everything we have is going with us to God. And you, Pharaoh, are not keeping a single thing that is ours. How many of you think God Moses was a good leader? He didn't just surrender and try to get his own skin saved. He wanted everything. I'm telling you right now as a church, this is what we want to do this year. We don't want to just get through this year with us getting out of it by the skin of our teeth. We want our children, our grandchildren, our families, our lives, our finances, our health. We want to walk out of this year with God into the fullness of his blessing. Can somebody say amen? But Pharaoh said no. And now... The plagues are almost over. It's number 10. But this one is different. What we're about to see in number 10 is the hostage exchange. Up until now, the judgments upon Egypt were simply God saying, you're trusting in the wrong God, and if you insist on resisting me, I'll prove that I'm stronger. And he proved it all nine times. Number 10 was to be different. Let's read the story, Exodus chapter 11. Verse one. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh in Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. I just want you to think about that and remember that. It seems really strange. What are they doing before they leave? They're going around, hey, got any jewelry you want to get rid of? So just, just watch. Verse three, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. In other words, they gave it to him. Moreover, the man Moses was very, very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants in the sight of his people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been nor ever will be again. But not a dog will growl against any of the people of Israel, man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Chapter 12, verse 21. We're just going to read a section here. So then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, this is the detail of the hostage exchange. This is their ransoming. This is their redemption. Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, which is a bush that could be used like a paintbrush, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Why? This is a tense moment. This is a hostage exchange. This is not a time to be playing religion. Hey, I want to see those Egyptians die. Maybe not. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you. You will observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you will keep this service or this ritual. The Jews call it the Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? You will say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Almost done. So then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the captive who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not one house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve your Yahweh as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. This was the, the night of the ransom. This was something bigger happening here than God plaguing Egypt. This was God delivering his people from something greater than slavery to a foreign nation. What God literally said is that on this night, I am going to come down and I will visit my justice upon whoever is in Egypt. Mind you, God said, if you, want to, if you don't do what I say, you'll all be judged like the Egyptians. But if you follow the details of this exchange, I'll deliver you. And God came down in judgment. It is the ransom exchange, our meeting with God. Now, just a brief note. 
All my life, I've, I've known this as Christians. I don't suppose you've learned anything real new just yet. Ransom, redemption, it means to redeem. If you ask any little child in children's church, what did Jesus do for us? He'll say, or she'll say, he died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. The, the real thought that I have for you is this. When we have a ransom, we have a good guy who's usually kidnapped by a bad guy and then there's an even better guy who pays the ransom to the bad guy so the good guy gets free. I know that's not real, but it's the truth. It's what we expect out of a ransom story. And so we immediately think God is gonna pay a ransom to the devil so that the devil lets us go free, but I would say no, no. It is not to the devil that a ransom is owed. It is to God. True? God said all the way back in the Garden of Eden, in the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, in dying you will die. The sentence of death, spiritual and physical, was passed on all mankind because of our sin. God the just judge passed that sentence. And if God was going to come and visit his people face to face, he would have to visit upon them the sentence of death unless a ransom could be paid. But who could pay a ransom to God? Only an innocent lamb. Only the one who had never sinned. Remember, take a lamb, a spotless, that meant a perfect lamb. Why a lamb? Nothing's more innocent. Nothing's more cute. No more tears would you have if you had to slaughter a beautiful, innocent lamb in the presence of children. Something so beautiful, so innocent. And God said, take each family and slaughter the lamb and take the blood, the very precious lifeblood of that innocence and paint it over the door of your house. So when I come to visit my justice, when I come to pay what you've earned, I'll see that, oh, this house is ransomed. I'll pass over. And then he said, you're to eat that lamb, you're to roast it. And you're to eat the lamb. And then it said that you're to eat that meal with your bags packed and your traveling clothes on. Why? A symbol of we don't belong in Egypt. This is the last hour. This is the last meal we're ever gonna meet, eat in this dark land, children. Eat now and eat carefully and whatever you do, do not go outside tonight. Why? Because it is a tense moment when the ransom is paid. Outside this door is death. Inside this house is life. Eat your lamb. Have your coats on. Have your bags packed. This will be the last night Egypt ever sees you. One more thing God said. This day, this month, I'm changing your calendar. This is now going to be the first of the year for you. Happy New Year to all my people. Because from this moment forward, you begin your life. From this moment forward, you were dead and now you are alive. You were captive. You are free. You were enslaved. Now you're mine. You will leave this land of bondage. This will be your new beginning. And 
They were to borrow silver and gold. Remember the story? A couple of things to note. We're going to have communion in a moment, and I'm leading this up for a reason. They were a slave nation. Where would they have gotten money? What would they have had to take with them toward a promised land? There were three million people. We're not talking about a couple of us just doing our best. God said, go to the Egyptians, ask them for gold and silver, and they gave it to them. And the Bible says in Psalm 105, he brought them forth with silver and with gold. And it also said there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Psalm 105, verse 37. Not one feeble? What does that mean? Nobody was sick. Can you imagine evacuating a city of three million people in one 24-hour period and not having anybody that needed ambulances and special care? What would have happened? They would have had to have had a massive healing experience from God. And that's what he said he did. So on the night of their deliverance, he provided for gold for their future. So much so that later in the wilderness, when Moses took an offering to build the tabernacle, he had to tell the people, stop giving. We don't need any more gold and silver. On that night when they left, those that couldn't walk, those that were sick, those that were about to die, God touched them with his grace and said, not only do I forgive you, I heal you. I offer you enough. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us that God by his divine power has granted to us all we need for life and for godliness. It's the story of the great Passover. And God told Moses that when you gather every year, I want you to have this feast. Every year I want you to sit your families down. Every year you put your coats on and you pack your bags and you eat a lamb and you eat the bitter herbs to remind you of slavery. Every year I want you to do it. And when your children say, why do we do this? I want you to tell them this story. The great story of the great deliverance. Friends, that's the story Jesus told on the night of the Last Supper. When he had his disciples in that upper room, it was Passover. He told that whole story as all the Jews would have. He talked about Pharaoh and the plagues. He talked about the Passover. He talked about the blood and eating the lamb. And together with his disciples, they ate that lamb and those bitter herbs. And then when the supper was over, they looked at him hours before his death. And I'm sure with tears in his eyes, he took a little piece of bread. Unleavened bread, which is like a cracker. And he held it up and he broke it. And he said, friends, that was the Passover. We ate a lamb. This is my body given for you. What is he saying? I'm the lamb. I'm the real lamb. Take this and eat it, all of you. And do this in remembrance of me. Just as you repeat the Passover to remember the great deliverance, I want you as my people to take this bread and to break it and to remember that I'm the lamb. 
I'm the one that paid your ransom to God. I'm the one that made it available so you could come to God and be forgiven and delivered and healed and blessed and walk out of your Egyptian bondage and leave your taskmaster, Satan. I'm the one who freed you from that death. I invite you to find by your side this day the communion elements in these little cups. See if you can get, get the uh, little wafer of bread out. And I want you, as we hold this, to realize the profoundness of that night and what communion was really supposed to mean. It was a reminder, no more Pharaoh, no more Egypt, no more bondage. Freedom. No more that God is our enemy. God is our Father. This is how and this is why. Jesus took this bread and said, Take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body broken for you. Let's partake of this bread together. He told them the story of the hyssop and the blood painted on the doorpost. And they read it just like we did, and they talked about it. And then after the whole thing was ended, he took a cup. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, of the new covenant. The old covenant got you out of Egypt. The old covenant got you away from Pharaoh. My covenant gets you out of hell and frees you from Satan and sin. The old covenant, bless them. I give you eternal life. He said, take this, all of you, drink it. This is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. Let's drink the cup. I'm gonna pray for you and me I'm gonna ask that God would visit us with his deliverance. As I pray, I want you to think, is there blood on your household? Have you applied the death of Jesus and his blood to all, who, all that you are, all your family? Are you like Moses? You're not gonna let your kids and grandkids follow Satan? Do you have the Lamb of God in your heart? How about this, are your bags packed? You ready to leave this place, this cosmos? Or do you love it so much you don't want Jesus to have you go? You can't stay in Egypt and be free at the same time, you can't. Lots of Christians struggling with addictions and bondages, a lot of it goes back to what do you love more, Jesus or this world? I know that's old fashioned preaching, but it's true whether we like it or not. You love Jesus more than you love this world and a lot of your bondages are gone. He has freedom for us. I'm gonna pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray today, none of us deserve this freedom. We deserve the death you visited the Egyptians with, but you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
You took away our sin on that cross. And you opened up heaven with your resurrection. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, into our lives today. Help us to do our part to get out of Egypt. You've delivered us from its power. Help us to walk away spiritually from the influence of darkness. We pray it now in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song just as we close. salvation Jesus for our sake you died oh praise the Father praise the Son praise the Spirit three in one God of glory forever to the King of Kings. All of that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel shall not kneel, shall not kneel, shall not faint. Now his blood and in his name. In his freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ 
that has resurrected me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in all creation. I pray for all of us here today that you would help us to grasp who you are and live in the light of what you've done. If you are here today, friend, and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's as simple for you to do as to reach out to him right now and say, Jesus, Please come into my life and be my savior. I believe you took my sin and died on a cross, and I believe you rose from the dead. As I'm praying, if that describes you, you say those, you mean those words, he will come into your life. Thank you, Father, for everybody that's here. We pray for not only those here, but all who named this place as their spiritual family. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us all, delivering and blessing, guiding and keeping, providing for, and making us a blessing to others as we share the hope of Jesus. We pray your blessing on them all in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you.